Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. You guys give it up for Meg Corson. Wherever you, you jump up there, do the steps are on the stage. I love you guys. It's good to see you. I am delirious, I'm not gonna lie. I've been living on airplanes lately, and uh, I'm so glad I came here. I got 30 minutes of sleep last night, so we'll see what happens. We don't know. We'll see. Delirium does some fun things. Um, yes, I've been on an Optimus Fitz book tour. It's been very adventurous. Uh, the books are available in the back afterwards. I'd love to meet you at the book table if you want to grab one, especially if you know somebody who is in need of hope and living an adventurous life again and healing and all that. So that's what that book's about. The money doesn't go to me when you buy the book. Uh, the royalties just go right back to Hope Generation to keep spreading this message. So I want to share with you some of the content from that and just some stuff that I'm really passionate about. But thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. I, I don't think I've ever taught on a golf course before. Like, <laughs> this is sick. Like, I'm going to go putt after this, if that's okay. I might take the second service off and just go putt. All right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. This is so cool. You guys aren't even a year old. Yeah. And then you have another service after yes. this. That's insane. Wow. Gosh, amazing. <laughs> Romans chapter four. You guys doing good today? Yeah. yeah? So let's hit you with some heavy hope. Like we might as well since we're here. Does that sound good? Romans chapter four. Let's, uh, and have your Bible ready because we're gonna turn different places uh, in the book of Romans. We're gonna go a bunch of different places. How long do I have to talk for? Three hours? Prophecy. Yeah. Oh, there's my clock. Yeah, what time should clock, I end? Dude. Yeah, probably, you know. An hour? No, no, no. Oh, oh, I, I was going to say. Okay, I got you. Yeah, top of the hour. Okay. 39 minutes. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Okay. That's more than, that's more than the sleep I got, 39 minutes. All right, minutes. man. That's great. Oh, gosh. I'm really excited about this one. Romans 4, verse 19. 
Uh, this is talking about, uh, or pardon me, verse 18. This is talking about Abraham. And uh, I'm going to read this verse and then give some context. Romans 4.18 says, who, speaking of Abraham, contrary to hope. Now that's a big phrase, contrary to hope. In hope believed. I love this. Contrary to hope. In hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. So Paul the Apostle is talking about a guy named Abram who was renamed with the sobriquet moniker Abraham because the name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is now um, inputted, in, in, imputed to his identity. So he's now actually having the divine DNA coursing his very name. So Abram goes from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations, and that's what he's quoting here that Abraham would be called the father of many nations. But here's the crazy thing about this story. God told Abraham in the story that he would have a baby when he was 75 years old. Then God waited an extra 25 years before he actually had the kid. Abraham is told at 75 years old, he's going to have a baby, has to wait 25 years before the baby comes. Now, in the story, a year before the baby's born, God speaks to Sarah and Abraham that they're going to have this child because they'd waited 24 years. It had been nearly a quarter of a century and they're like, maybe this isn't gonna happen. Like maybe we heard wrong or something. So God's like, don't you worry. In a year from now, you're gonna have a child. The Bible says Sarah laughed. She thought it was funny. Why? Because I would think it's funny too. How old was she at the time? Well, she was 89 years old at the time. So if you're 89 years old and God says, oh, in a year from now, you're gonna have a baby, you would laugh too. Because you'd think, I'm about to wear diapers, eat mush, and have no teeth. <laughs> so I'm going to have a baby who wears diapers, eats mush, and has no teeth too, like Lion King circle of life here. This is hilarious. Like, could you imagine going to Walmart, and you're like, I'm shopping for maternity clothes. It's like, oh yeah, for your great-great-great-granddaughter? No, for me. It's like, you would get laughed at. Do you, are you tracking with me? So Sarah thinks it's funny. Watch this. A year later in this story, God gives her a baby. What does God name the baby? Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. What is God saying? You laugh and make fun of me when I give you a promise, Sarah, but who has the last laugh now? God always gets the last laugh. So that's what this text is saying, and it's such a beautiful story. Wherever you come from, like you might be here today, and you're like, gosh, I don't even believe the Bible. Even if you're totally new to church today, this is a pretty beautiful story, because what it's saying is, despite the time period that Abraham had to wait, despite the obstacles that stood in his path, Despite the mountains that needed to be moved, he kept on believing. He kept on hoping. Contrary to hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Isn't that beautiful? And God always fulfills his promises. No matter how many problems you have, did you know there are over 3,500 promises in the Bible? Take them. <laughs> They're yours. 106 times the Bible says, wait for the Lord. You might have to wait, but God is faithful. And after Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And if God has been faithful in the past, we're gonna be faithful about the future and we're gonna be fulfilled today. So that's the first thing I wanna talk to you about is uh, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, even though he had to wait 25 years. We are not into waiting. And I think the problem is a lot of us think God isn't good because we're judging the rest of our story on the current plot. So like we're, we're stopped, we're putting the movie on pause like halfway through the worst scene and we're like, yeah, see, he's not good. It's like you gotta keep going in the story. Like, like there's this story of Job. I love this one in the Bible. Remember the Sabian raiders steal all his, all his possessions. 
He loses his health. He's scraping boils off his skin with a piece of pottery. And his children die in a whirlwind. Then, at the end of the story, God speaks to Job, where? Out of a whirlwind. Because in the place Job suffered most painfully, that's where God speaks the most powerfully. The whirlwind killed the kids. Then later, God speaks out of a whirlwind. Because out of our greatest weakness, our greatest strengths are born. When I am weak, then, I'm, then am I strong, Paul said, because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Because the weaker I am, the more I have to hang out with him. The more I hang out with him, the more I become like the people I'm around. So the more his strength rubs off on me when I look to the strong for strength. Therefore, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Job goes through all this stuff. And for about 37, 38 chapters, it's terrible. It's just existential crisis. He's like, he's like having these very angsty, de depressing conversations with his friends. When I was in high school, like the emo kids listened to, uh, I don't know if any of you remember these bands, but like Death Cab for Cutie, da Dashboard Confessional. That's like the soundtrack to Job. If, I, if there's any millennials here, but that's like the soundtrack to Job. It's just super depressing, like a My Chemical Romance or something. And you read this book and you're like, gosh, this guy's very sad, obviously. But at the end, God, after Job went, after Job, his trouble doubled, God gave him double for his trouble. And at the end, Job had twice as many blessings at the end of his life compared to what he had at the beginning of his life. Although Job's trouble doubled, God gave him double for his trouble. Because Zechariah prophesies, turn ye to the strongholds, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. So watch this. The Bible goes on to say at the end of Job, chapter 42, that Job gets a bunch of kids, livestock, cattle, wealth, twice as much as he had, and he enjoys these blessings for 140 years. Now the question is, how long did he suffer? Scholars tell us that his suffering was nine months. But most of the book is you reading what he thinks during those nine months. So people read the book of Job like, it's the oldest book in the Bible ever written, and it's the most depressing book. But the problem is, Job was judging the rest of his life on this current season. And he didn't realize that what he was going through was nine months of suffering that would birth a destiny of 140 years of blessing. And nine months is how long it takes to give birth to a child. Jesus said, your sorrow will be turned to joy, for when a mother gives birth to a child, she forgets her sorrow. Like, I've never seen a mother give, well, I've never seen a mother give birth to a child, period. But like, I have never heard of a mother giving birth to a child and she's like, yeah, that wasn't worth it. Like, some of you are here today and you're like, gosh, there's so much sorrow. There's so much suffering. It's Job-like, there's so much pain. Like, do you ever wish, like, when you came out of the womb, you, like, looked out at the world, you're like, nah, and you just went back? Like, that, that can be how it feels. So that's what Job was going through. But watch this. Nine months of suffering was a light affliction compared to the weight of glory of 140 years. I have a prophetic word for somebody right now. Do not judge the rest of your life on this current season. Don't press pause. Keep going. Like, you, you gotta wait. And that's the problem, is we're not always willing to wait. But you gotta wait for the, the birth, the, you gotta wait for your pains to become birth pangs. I am dropping veritable bars, and if I don't get an amen, I'm going to get ticked. Okay, this is big. So, so, so Abraham, he had to wait, so his, his hope involved him waiting. In fact, this is kind of cool. In Isaiah 40, 31, I've never, I don't think I've really taught this speed traveling, but Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. It can also be translated by some versions, those who hope in the Lord, because hoping and waiting are sometimes the same thing. And so um, we don't like to wait, though. 
And a lot of you don't have hope because you're not willing to wait it out. Like, you know Hot Pockets? Do you ever, do you, do you ever like stomp your foot because you're like, this is two minutes too long? Like, back in the day, they had to hunt for food. We get it out of the refrigerator from Safeway or whatever you have in California. Fred Meyer, I don't know what you guys have, I forget. Walmart, God bless 3% of our workforce. You get your Hot Pockets, you put it in the microwave, and you're like stomping your foot, you're like, oh, this takes two minutes, this is so long. And then when they finally come out, you burn your mouth on the Hot Pockets because you're not willing to wait the extra 30 seconds requisite for them to cool off. <laughs> we all do that. Our generation hates to wait, and technology is getting faster and faster. The problem is uh, we, we live in an era of post-industrial revolution, post-enlightenment switches. How many buttons did you press today? Counting your phone, your ignition, your light switch. We're all about switches. And Jesus was all about seeds. 90% of his parables were nature-based. We're going places, friends. It's not about switches, it's about seeds. So we're like, I'm sowing to the spirit. Why aren't I reaping love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? God's like, because it's a seed. It's not a switch. It takes time to germinate. It's something that has to be planted and then you have to wait for it to grow, and then you have to wait for the fruits to bud. It takes time, so wait. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, because you can't be trusted until you've been tested. New levels, new devils. And in order for God to prepare the blessing for you, he's gotta prepare you for the blessing, so uh, when you're waiting, have hope. This isn't the end. I, in, fact, in fact, I'm gonna say that to somebody. The core of existence is not giving up. It's everything. There are times when you live on the road that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what city I'm in. I don't even know where I am. All I want to do is sleep. But you say, not giving up. That's why I'm here. It's the core of everything. That's when you're not skimming off the top. That's when you're plumbing the deeps. That's when you're not all treble, no base. That's when you're going places. You don't give up. I think that's a word for somebody. Give everything, but up. I'll just keep going. I'll leave that there. I'll leave that there. Okay, look over at Romans 5. So Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Okay, Romans 5, verse 1. This is fun. Verse 1, Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, watch this, verse 2, and rejoice in hope. And rejoice in hope, uh, the hope of the glory of God. Then he says in verse 3, Romans 5, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now watch this. Now hope, Romans 5, 5, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. So Paul says, we, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Why do we rejoice in hope? So Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Against all the odds, unlike the Hunger Games, the odds were never in his favor. And he, he believes and he gets the promise, the laughter. Then the next chapter, Romans 5, tells us we glory, uh, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul says, watch this, we glory in tribulations. When's the last time you did that? been a while since I did that. When's the last time you're like, my car broke down. Thank you, God. This is sick. 
When's last time someone broke your heart? You're like, that's so dope. God, thank you. She dumped me. You're so good. When's last time you like, you like got a really negative comment on social media? You're like, woo to the who? When's last time, when's last time, you know, somebody messed up your order at the drive-thru after you got home, you realized it? You're like, I enjoy the joy of being enjoyed by God. Thank you that I'm a vegetarian and they put chicken in my tacos. Thank you, Lord. Now I can't eat anything. Why did Paul say this? The stuff Paul went through, though, was, was intense. Paul got bit by a snake. They threw rocks at him and left him for dead. Got shipwrecked, spent a day and night at deep, scourged with whips, beaten with rods, not to mention the anxiety he felt being an apostle of all the churches. Some scholars believe his wife left him when he became a Christian. He went through a lot of really, really bad stuff. And yet Paul, through everything he went through, he said, we glory in our tribulation. When's the last time you did that? Now, you say, why would I do that? Why, like, this is crazy. This is crazy talk to the world. It's not politically correct. Like, I don't know if you're seeing, I mean, if I'm really passionate about the news and stuff, and you look at Dorian hitting Florida. You look at the, the shootings going on El Paso, Texas. You look at the, the bread and circuses Roman farce that is the political scene today. And you, you can, like, you can watch what's going on and say there's so much tribulation all around us, both geopolitically, but also in my own soul with my personality. Why would I rejoice when things go bad? Hear me loud and clear. I am not saying all things are good. They're not. Some things are just plain old bad. In fact, if you go through something really bad, listen, and somebody tells you, oh, here's why you went through this. I'd be very skeptical of that. Like the older I get, the more I'm like, ah, Sometimes it's not that simple. And sometimes you're like, I don't know why this happened. And if somebody's like, well, the hurricane happened because it's the judgment of God. It's like, please get off the TV ASAP Rocky. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I don't know why some things happen. I'd be lying if I said I knew why everything happened. But here's what I will say. Are you ready? It's very simple, but it's true. Not all things are good but somehow all things work together for the good because God is good. That's what I'll say. In fact, let me, let me speak from the heart. How many of you would say life has been hard? It's been hard, but somehow God's been good. I think that's a pretty accurate description of my life. And I, everybody I talk to has walked with the Lord. Like, it's been hard. But he's been really good. Like, I don't know how this is all. Like, he's been good. That makes me want to cry because it's so true. It's so true. It's everything. And so he says, even when things are horrible, we glory in those horrible things. Why? The question is still, why would he do that? He says, because tribulation produces perseverance. So the more tribulation you go through, the, the more you will persevere. That's why, that's why he says, we glory in tribulation. Why? Because tribu every time we go through something bad, Paul says it produces perseverance in us. Can I speak from my heart on this too? We do not need more pity. We need more perseverance. We don't need people's pity. We need power in the presence of the Prince of Peace. My dad always taught me this. You can either have people's pity or you can have God's power, but you can't have both. You got to decide what you want. Do you want to cry to people and get their pity? You can have it. 
Or do you want to go to God in the presence of the Prince of Peace and leave with power? What we don't need is people throwing pity parties. What we need is DEFCON 1, Navy SEAL Team 6, MI5, Recon, Paratrooper. We need warriors like Marcus Luttrell, uh, Chris Kyle, American snipers. We need warriors. We need people who will fight for what they don't feel, who will count it all joy, because hope is a journey and joy is a choice. We need people who glory in tribulation, because Antonio Damasio, a neuroscientist, said that 95% of the time, our feelings decide for us. 95% of the time, it's our feelings that decide for us. We need people who say, I will not walk merely by feelings. I will walk by faith. I will glory in tribulation because every bad thing that I go through, if I don't react, but rather respond, it will produce perseverance in me. And then he says, perseverance produces character. Character. Have you seen people who've gone through a lot of bad stuff, but there's like a beautiful brokenness about them? And when God puts them back together, it's more beautiful than it was before. It's totally a metamorphosis, like cocoon vibes. Like they were a caterpillar and crawling around, now they're like soaring. That's what, that's what perseverance does to you. It produces character, makes you something new. Those who are in Christ are new creatures. The word in Greek is species. You're like a new species. You're, you went from a homo sapien to a hopo sapien, like a bee possible to an apostle, <laughs> an ain't to a saint. You're like brand new. Um... Then he says, character produces, if you look down at the text, he says, character produces hope. And hope never disappoints. That's what I love about the biblical word for hope. Hope never disappoints. Like, like the way we use the word hope today is so much different than Romans 5.5. 5. He says, hope never disappoints because the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So Paul's saying, Paul's saying this, Pain makes you stronger. Tears make you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. So we're going to thank our past for a better future. And he says, watch this, that hope doesn't disappoint. The problem is the way we use the word hope today is it does disappoint. I could go out to the golf course and say, man, I hope I get a hole in one. Do you know the odds of that happening? Very slim. I could say, I hope Selena Gomez asked me on a date, but that's probably not going to happen. But like, I hope I win the lottery. Great. I hope I get a parking spot, but it's packed. I, I hope that is not the biblical word for hope. In, in Hebrew, the Old Testament, when he says, in thy word do I hope, the word hope means knitted. There's your vibe right there. It's knitted to ultimate reality, to the source, to the prime mover, to the principle behind which you cannot go. Pick your poetical poison. It's like, your hope it doesn't unravel when your circumstances do. It's knitted to ultimate reality because life's like a glow stick. Sometimes you got to break before you shine. And hashtag the struggle is real, but so is God. Life is tough, but God is tougher. Life is a battle, but the battle is the Lord's and no one ever injured their eyesight by looking on the bright side. So we're not going to complain because rose bushes have thorns. We're going to rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Our past supply is not our last supply. Our hope will not be dictated by our circumstances. Our circumstances will be dictated by our hope. The more desperate the case, the more space for God's grace. God's love is the coal that makes the train roll. So we're going to be strong when everything's going wrong because everything's going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And it's okay if you're not okay. It's just not okay if you stay that way because our hope doesn't unravel when our circumstances do because it's knitted to ultimate reality. This is big. This is the center of everything. That's what Paul says. He says, this hope does not disappoint. It doesn't disappoint. In fact, did you know the word hope that he uses in... Um, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know if I'm dreaming right now. Have you ever had one of those moments? <laughs> I don't really know what's happening. Um, the word hope, but all this stuff I'm saying is true. I know that for a fact. 
The word, I'm not making stuff up. Um, the word hope that he uses in the New Testament is the word el peace. And what el peace means is joyful, confident welcome. That's hope. It's not loosey-goosey, well, golly, gosh, I hope. It's I have joyful confidence that I'm going to welcome the miracles of God into my life. In fact, can I break that word down in the etymological Greek syntax and rhetoric for a second? The word hope, watch this, LP, joyful, confident, welcome. Number one, it means joyful. So the biblical hope he's talking about is joyful. We need more joy. I have never met someone and said, gosh, I wish they'd just be a little less joyful. I wish they'd be a little more stressed. I wish they'd be a little more grumpy. I wish they'd be a little more angsty. I wish they'd be a little more cynical. I wish they'd rain on my parade more. I wish they'd be more of a Debbie Downer. You can't have too much joy. Some of you have a lot of joy here. Great, God wants to give you more joy, so break the glass ceiling. We need more joy. I remember we were shooting for our TV show in France a couple years ago, and my friend Sean was doing these front flip, back flips off this dilapidated building into the Mediterranean Sea, and I was doing front flips, but they were more like front rolls, because I'm not acrobatic at all. So then I come in from the ocean, I'm like laying on the sand for a second, and Sean, my friend, comes out of the ocean, and he's limping and laughing. And I say, Sean, why are you limping and why are you laughing? And Sean says, because I just got stung by a jellyfish. I say to Sean, jellyfish things can be excruciatingly, like crucible painful and even fatal and lethal. You should not be laughing right now. Why are you laughing? And Sean said, because if I have an hour left to live, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life. So let me, let me be with my laughter. He said something like that, and I'm like, who does that? In fact, when Sean gets stressed, he laughs. He literally laughs. Do any of you have a friend who laughs funnier than they joke? That's like Sean. When he's stressed out, he starts giggling. He, like, can't stop laughing, which is amazing, except when you're at a funeral. But, like, <laughs> guess what? An hour later, he was totally fine. You know what the Bible says? A merry heart does good like medicine. Ancient wisdom now confirmed by science. Did you know that when you laugh, you release neuropeptides in your body, which strengthens your immune system? If you laugh 100 times, it has the same effect on your body physiologically as being on a rowing machine for 10 minutes or a stationary bike for 15 minutes. I hear some of the Rams players come here. So if you want better abs, you know, strengthen your core by laughing at my jokes. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. So don't be sad, because sad spelled backwards is das, and das not good. It's not. It's. So you, you, you told me. But, but that's what hope, watch this. Did you know the average child laughs between 200 to 400 times every day? Guess how much the average adult laughs? 14 to 17 times. Now, it kind of, my name's very confusing when I go speak places, Ben Corson, because people think I'm Ben Carson. Then they see me, they're like, you look different on TV. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I don't have gifted hands. I didn't run for president. Um, he's, he's a neuroscientist. I'm not a neuroscientist. I got a 2.0 grade point average because my teachers didn't know how to teach a creative genius. Um, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I did get a 2.0 because I was, wasn't good at school. I don't have as many degrees as a thermometer. I don't have an alphabet after my name. I have as many, I have as, watch this. I have as many IQ, this is going to be good. I have as many IQ points as the Cleveland Browns put on the scoreboard against the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> it's bad news bears. Um, 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if the average kid is laughing 300 times and the average adult is laughing 15 times, the older we're getting, the less joy we're having. So maybe these are wise words. If you want to enter my kingdom, you must become as a child. Anybody can get jaded. Anybody can get cynical. It takes true strength to remain a child. And Jesus invited us back. Peter pandemonium. <laughs> I hope the older I get, the more people accuse me of immaturity. I'd be so sick. Like, you'd stop skating so much. I'm like, thank you, God. I am skating into a kingdom. Yeah, I don't skateboard anymore, but like, as a metaphor. Um, I just thought of that. I'm going to be honest. I just don't anymore. Okay, turn with me to Romans 12 for the few minutes we have left, and we'll go quick. Romans 12, so turn over to the right. Verse 12, this is a great one. Romans 12, verse 12. You guys doing okay? Yeah. We're almost done. We'll keep going. Romans 12, verse 12. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, like we talked about, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Okay, let's look at that phrase again, Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope. Okay, so hope is something that we should rejoice in. Like we should be so bold about our hope. So I talked about the first definition of hope. Remember, joyful, El peace. Does anybody remember the second one? Confident, confident. It, it means confident. Have any of you read Kanye West tweets? They're unbelievable. Kanye West literally tweeted to the world, and I quote, you may be talented, but you're not Kanye West. I wish I had a friend like me. I may not be tall and skinny, but I'll settle for being the greatest artist of all time as a consolation. And I believe in surrounding myself with winners. That's why my room is full of mirrors. <laughs> now, I was hoping more for laughter than, like, judgment. <laughs> like, wow, sinner. Um, okay, so when I think of somebody who's sure of himself, I think of Kanye. But you know who would give Kanye a run for his Yeezys? Was Moses. Watch this. In Numbers 12.3, it's, I'm glad you got that. In Numbers 12.3, <laughs> it says Moses was the, watch this. This is a great verse. You're going to love it. Numbers 12.3 says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Who wrote that? Moses. <gasps> like, could you imagine? Like, what if I'm like, hey guys, I'm the most humble guy ever. No, imagine if I said it in third person. Ben Corson is the most humble man on the face of the earth. He said it in third person, like athletes and rappers do autobiographically, the personal pronoun, he says, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth, writes Moses about Moses autobiographically, which makes me rethink, what is humility? Is humility walking around saying, no one likes me, everyone hates me, why don't I just go eat worms? We have enough Christians who look like they got baptized in lemon juice for crying out loud. Like the world looks at Christians like, you guys are depressing, you beat yourselves up. I'm saying if Jesus took our beating for us, why are we beating ourselves up again? Like, what am I missing? So ultimately, humility is not walking around saying, I'm such a sinner. Want to know how many times the New Testament calls you a sinner in the present tense? Zero. It's always past. All have sinned. We all know that. Like, look around the world. We've all messed up. But watch this. Your current state is, he calls you saints. 
He didn't say to the idiots at Corinth, to the losers at Thessalonica, and to the stupid people at Philippi. He said to those called to be saints. And in Corinth, they were jacked up. Everyone's like, we gotta go back to the early church. Fantastic. But they had problems too. In the early church in Corinth, there was a guy who was sleeping with his dad's wife, incest. They were getting drunk on communion wine. So they were having communion and getting sloshed. They were getting hammered having communion in church. It's like, let's have communion. And they got drunk. And they took the communion bread and ate it at the expense of the poor. And Paul's like, no wonder he, had, he said, I have anxiety <laughs> dealing with these churches. In fact, that was like his crown jewel of suffering. He like goes through all these sufferings, like shipwrecked, beaten by rods, and then there's like Corinth. <laughs> but I forget what I was saying. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so Paul, he calls them saints. What we need to stop doing is walking around saying, oh gosh, I'm such an idiot. I'm such a loser. I'm such a sinner. Aren't I humble? If, if God told Moses, if you, if you believe God inspired that verse, then that means God told Moses to write, Moses is the most humble man ever. Moses didn't feel like he was bomb.com. He didn't feel like he was the sauce. He didn't feel like he was awesome. In fact, when God called Moses to speak, he made 10 excuses for why he couldn't. But he was so eloquent that he could find 10 different ways to say the same thing. And it all consisted of, I can't talk. But when God told him to write, Moses is the most humble man on the face of the earth. Listen, the most humble thing Moses could do is say, I will submit what I think about myself underneath what you think about me. And if you tell me to write, Moses is the most humble man on the face of the earth, I don't care if it sounds cocky. I don't care if I'm misunderstood. I am going to speak over my life what you tell me to speak over my life. We have to start saying, I am a mago day. I'm made in the likeness of God. I'm created in his image. So I'm made, I'm crowned with glory and honor. I'm made a little lower than the angels. The earth he has given to the sons of men. All things are yours. I am always with you. Do not know everything I have belongs to you. We are a masterpiece. We are kings. We are priests. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. We are children of the most high God. We're not a carbon footprint. We're a force to be reckoned with. We are not protons. We're a pronoun. We are not a lost cause. We are found by God. And we need to start speaking over our lives what God speaks over us because that's what hope is. It's confidence. It's confidence. We should be the most confident people ever because we know who we are. Like if I know who I am, I don't care what you say about me, dude. I know who I am. I'm a child of God. Try to take that hope away from me. Good luck. It ain't going to happen because it's knitted to ultimate reality. Shots fired. Also, he says, lastly, it's welcome. It's welcome. So it's joyful, confident welcome. Like we welcome the miracles of God into our life so much so that he says in Romans 12, we're to be rejoicing in hope. We should actually be bold about this hope, as Hebrews says. Let's go two more places with the eight minutes I have left. Romans 15, verse four. Romans 15, four. For whatever things, Paul goes on to write, were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Do you understand what a big verse this is? This book is 77%, nearly 80% story and poem. Less than 20% is in teaching or letter form, direct teaching. And when you're talking about commandments, you're in the single digits of commandments to you. So this book is mainly a narrative and a story. This book was written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents by about 40 different authors. There's 66 books, 14 of, in this library. 
So 14 of these books were written by Paul. And Paul tells us in verse four, the verse we just read, the reason we wrote the Bible is to give you hope. The scriptures were written that you might have hope. If you walk away from a Bible study with less hope rather than more hope, it's a giant exercise in missing the point. We don't need more blues. We need more good news. We don't need more Eeyores. We need more Tiggers. We have enough people who tell it like it is. We need some more people who tell it like it can be. We have enough people who tell us you're going to die soon. We need some more people who tell us you ain't dead yet. We need a checkup from the neck up, get rid of stinking thinking, have an attitude of gratitude. How do we get this? This book gives hope. I can tell you this book has given me so much hope during hard times, which leads us to our last text. Look at verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13. Now, may the God of hope, everyone say, God of hope, hope. fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope. Everyone say, abound in hope hope. by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can repeat that too if you want. (laughs) Paul says, the Lord is the God of hope. So we've read like, great, tribulation produces hope and Abraham contrary to hope, in hope believed, and we're to be rejoicing in hope, and the Bible is written to give us hope, but the grand finale is the crowning jewel, the tour de force, the PSA de resistance, the magnum opus, the finest work of hope is this. He says, our Lord is the God of hope. He, he personifies, embodies, defines hope. So now I'm going to use my last five minutes to really share from the heart on this. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, this is fun, encouraging, and we learned about Romans and hope and stuff, but like, you don't know, Ben, what I've gone through. There is no hope. I don't know what you've gone through, but what I can do is share with you a story. When I was a kid, my sister Jessica was sitting at the dinner table telling my dad that she couldn't get married. My dad said, why not? Like, are you going to become a nun? Like, why aren't you going to get married? And she said, because you always tell me to marry somebody godlier than me, and I'm the godliest person I know. So I catch 22. Like, I can't get married. She was joking around, but truly godly girl. The next day, my sister Jessica died in a car accident. Now, I I say this to share this story. When my family got the news of this, my brother was the one who shared this. And he came home, and he said to my family, Jessica found her man. She finally found someone godlier than her. She's the bride of Christ. She's found her man. My brother who delivered that news A little over six months ago, he died of cancer. And we worked together at the church and uh, lived like a few minutes away from each other. And when I was sitting at my brother's deathbed with my dad, there was this song that shuffled on the radio. And it was like an indie song from a subculture 90s Christian band called Take My Hand and Walk. Nobody planned it. It just came on the radio. And I started crying more. My dad started crying more. And he looked at me and I was waiting for him to say it. He said, do you know what song this is? And I said, it was the most random song. It's not like, remember like seven years ago when the song Happy kept playing like every two minutes on the radio? That's not coincidence if you were happy. It's like, it's everywhere. This is not that. This was like an indie 90s subculture song. 
it, it shuffled on the radio. It was take my hand and walk. I start crying more. My dad starts crying more. And he says, do you know what song this is? And I say, this is, this is the song that played at Jessica's memorial. This, every time I hear that song, it's it, like, you know when you hear a song that brings back emotion? Like that brings back more than any song in the world, more powerful, powerful emotions in me than any song. That song came on. My brother heard it. And then he went to heaven to join my sister. And that was his homecoming song too. Somebody messaged me and said, your brother graduated. And I love that because the song was Take Man and Walk and Isaiah says that God will help you with his hand. And I picture him taking my sister Jessica down the wedding aisle as the bride of Christ. My brother Peter down the graduation aisle. And he says to my sister, you found your man. And to my brother, well done, good and faithful servant. And now, they're reunited with more family. My dad's first wife died in a car accident as well. So, for me, I went through 10 years of chronic depression and I was suicidal. I did take up a knife to kill myself and God saved me. I went through a romantic heartbreak about three years ago that made me think I'd never be happy again. Blindsided. This is why I'm saying this. People are impressed by our accomplishments, but they connect with our weaknesses. And I believe our scars, as cheesy as this sounds, become stars, like our wounds become wisdom. This isn't hear my words, this is touch my wounds. What I'm saying to you is very simple. I share this story for one reason. God healed me. I thought there was no hope. For 10 years, I wanted to die. And if God could heal my heart, this is all I want to say, he can heal your heart too. That's it. This stuff is real. And when the road bifurcates and when hell is in front of you and you're walking into the flames and you're like, I am in hell right now. Have you ever been there before? You're like, this is hell. This is the valley of the shadow of death. And you're going through fiery tribulation God reminds you that fiery tribulation doesn't burn you, it forges you. And God is a consuming fire who never burns what you are, he only burns what you are not. And so I wanna say, it's all gonna be good. I don't mean fluffy, like unicorn shooting rainbows out of their eyes, robustly flavored donuts of fun. I'm saying, listen, if I could have your attention for one more minute, It's going to be good. Don't give up. There's hope. There's joy. There's peace in the presence. He's good. He'll take care of you. I don't know why all this stuff happens. I can't give you the answers. But he is the answer. I just thought of this this morning and never thought of it before. Jesus said, I am the truth. Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? I would rather live my life being the truth than questioning the truth. And the truth of the universe is, there's a God of hope. Look around. You're telling me this just happened? Hard to believe. The strong and weak nuclear forces, electromagnetism and gravity all were in the size of infinite density and then burst into a Higgs field against which our quantum particles rub to slow down from light speed to accrue mass. And now we have electrons that are jumping from point A to point B without leaping the distance between. You're telling me that happened by accident. I have a hard time believing that. 
when I look at this, I'm like, somebody's behind this. And if somebody's behind this, I wanna know, I wanna know who's behind the curtain. And when you know who's behind the curtain, you found the secret of the universe. And when you have the secret of the universe, nothing can shake you anymore. So you can be like Paul the Apostle and say, none of these things move me. So what we're gonna say is we're gonna declare, just because bad things happen around me does not mean they need to happen inside me. I can't control what happens to me. I can control what comes through me. God doesn't do anything to me. He only does things for me. And if God's gonna do something for me, he's first gotta work something in me. So I'm not gonna look down and give up. I'm gonna look up and get it because Jesus rose so I could rise. We might go through hell, but we're not gonna smell like smoke. We're not gonna tell our God how big our mountain is. We're gonna tell our mountain how big our God is. And then we're gonna relax and sit back because every setback is a setup for a comeback. We might be at our rope's end, but we're not at our hope's end. We might not be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We might lose the battle, but we're not going to lose the campaign. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? So we are the people who are God-fident that wrong will be worsted. Right will triumph. We're baffled to fight better. We sleep to wake. We fall to rise. We have hell around us, but we have the kingdom of heaven inside us. So we're the people who've gone through hell, carrying buckets of water for those still consumed by the fire. And in a generation that is now, sociologists tell us, the most depressed on record, 33% the suicide rate has increased since the year 1999. In a generation where we consume more pills due to anxiety and depression than the rest of the youth combined by three times over, a person kills himself or herself once every 40 seconds globally. In this generation, we're going to change the world because we're going to find hope in the God of hope in the presence. And we're going to spread it to the world around us because we glory in tribulation, because not all things are good, but all things work together for the good because God is good. So we might as well change the planet while we're here. Come on. This is how we think. We think different. We think different. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being the God of hope. You're so good to us. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.